7 o'clock hour, and that means it's a Tuesday at 7 o'clock, which means, of course, the Bible guys are here. Billy's not here today because he is under the weather. He does not have the coronavirus. <laughs> we know that he doesn't have that, so I don't have to call in a disinfecting crew, uh, you know, now to take care of the, the studio. That's what's fine. He, but he does have either A or B uh, flu, evidently. He's All not, right. he's mm-hmm. really under the weather. So uh, that, that flu just kind of kicks your rear end. It's uh, 7.07, and it's 60 degrees, and we've got uh, Scott here from Agape Church. He's the pastor there. We've got Steve Hess, who's here, and he, of course, uh, is here to, to help out Scott when Scott needs uh, some extra help oh, yeah. in the site. Yeah, sure, Dave. <laughs> and so we're going to come back. We're going to ask a lot of uh, questions. We're going to talk a, a little bit about peace here first. So here we go. Let's we gotta start off with this today. Some of you remember this song. Now I've been happy lately, thinking about the good things to come. And I believe it could be something good has begun. Oh, I've been smiling lately, dreaming about the world at one. <laughs> you don't remember this? Never heard it before, I no. Wow. It could be someday it's going to come. Here we go. Because I'm on the edge of darkness. There are you ready? Peace the, there's the peace dream, baby. Oh, peace there you go. Right. We'll let that go. Because I know that if you're watching on YouTube, we'll be back in a few moments. All right. They cut us off when we play songs oh, right. like that. Gotcha. Yeah, that, that's Cat Stevens. Uh, I think that's from, uh, what was it, something in the Tillerman is the name of the album. When would that have actually been? 1970-71. All right. I big, was, I was big one. Hit. Was it? All right. You've heard the song "Morning Has Broken," right? How's it go? You know, "Morning Has Broken" on the first morning. It's about creation. Mm-mm. Okay. No. Well, he was the he was a writer and you know producer of that. I, I thought if I heard it, I would recognize it, but I I didn't. And then everybody found out later he was a practicing Muslim. He's changed his name now to a Muslim name yeah, and I'd, everything. I'd, I'd heard that. Yeah. So anyway, really. he was huge. I mean, he was he was monstrous huge. Oh, and wow. then uh, he turned his back on it for his faith. Really? Kind of interesting. Hmm. Was that having to do with the with the Vietnam War type thing, looking for peace? I don't or think things so. Like, no. I don't no. think no. that it did. I got a text from my wife. She knew the song. Yeah, see, oh. she knew it. She knows it. it ask her if she, was she, did she start singing it when she heard it? <laughs> just, I'm just wondering. I'm just kind of interested Yeah, when people do that. Did you, you didn't know it either, Steve? No. No. I should have started off with uh, that song about, uh, you know, be the brotherhood of man and all of that. That would go along. Anyway, the question, <laughs> the question I would like to Dave's ask again. trying to again. educate us. He sees he's getting nowhere. I'd like so. to ask again the question from last week from a different perspective. I asked, what would be your peace plan? What would be your peace train if you could influence the president? Now, I was wondering if you could tell me what you think world leaders and especially the leaders around Israel think and what, if anything, they might do in response? 
I know there's some saber rattling right now, but how do you guys think it will eventually shake out? Well, we all know how it's going to read Revelation. <laughs> we, we all know how it's going to shake out. But go ahead. Um, from a practical um, application, what I would do is I would remind everybody involved of the Abrahamic covenant. Mm-hmm. And I would say to the Muslim people that you were promised land and your um, half-brother was promised this land. And this is the peace plan. Israel gets Israel, and you get the 12 nations that were surrounding Israel, which is what you were promised. I think it says 12 princes were going to come mm-hmm. from Ishmael, and that would be the the extent of any peace plan I would offer. But I would also, uh, and then I would encourage Israel to, to defend that, um, because this is the, people don't understand that this is not a geopolitical event this is a spiritual event that's right and there's a reason israel's back in the land and they i believe they have to do what they did when they went into the land of canaan initially i believe they're going to have to fight for it and i believe that they just need to that that's what i would offer the president say you need to this is the covenant right here this is a covenant the descendants of ishmael get this this piece of land and israel gets this piece of land end of story if you don't like it then we'll kick you out you'll lose see you yeah Okay. Yeah, I, I would I would agree. I think that uh, if I was going to do that, I would lay out the scripture. Just get the the boundaries are very clearly defined in the word from from here to here, from here to here. Lay out those boundaries and say the only peace plan that's going to work. Go Can ahead. I say sure. something for people who are listening? Say, yeah, well, that's the Bible. Of course, you would. You the first four books of the Bible are accepted by every Muslim mm-hmm. in the world, or should be. Yeah. yeah. As far as I understand, so, mm-hmm. am I correct? The, the law they accept the, accept the law they change a few things in yeah. it but uh they change uh they change the son of promise from uh, Isaac to Ishmael uh they switch so they would it around. claim the land that I would say they don't get ah yeah they they switch okay. the cuz actually it says um uh like um it it tells us there's a phrase in there uh it says uh at one point it calls Ishmael your uh your only begotten or your first I forget. Uh, Isaac is the only one that's referred to. Right, they switch that around, yes. yeah, and they make they make Ishmael. Um, so uh, and so they claim the promises uh, that way. So yeah, but otherwise they accept uh, they accept it for the most part, except they say that Moses was a good practicing Muslim, right? Uh, which is, I mean, if, if you know, it's, I don't know how you do that. In the fact that you know, Muhammad wasn't born until six hundred years after Jesus, so there was no Muslim faith until then. But they retrofit it for everybody. Uh, prior to that but nonetheless um and i don't remember moses ever calling god allah no 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 he did not nope nope and so i would do the same thing i would take i mean for me this you know i I don't think this peace plan um carries water i think that it's wrong anything that deals with the two-state uh solution we already have the two-state solution when they divided up uh the, the ancient when they divided up the middle east in the first place uh they gave uh, a whole country uh a whole country to what what is what is known now as Palestinians. They called it Jordan or Transjordan, and they gave the rest of it to um, to Israel. Uh, and so that was the end of it. So there isn't there is no such thing as a great Palestinian nation in that nope. sense. So the only peace plan that's going to work is God's peace plan, and God's peace plan is His word, and His word defines boundaries. His word defines borders, and only the only way we're going to get peace is by allowing God's word to be true and let everybody else be a liar. And if you're just and we'll be waiting a long time yeah. for that. But if you're, you know, if you're a Christian out there and you and you have a tendency of not knowing how you're going to fall on this, let me just say this to you: that when God gave the covenant to Abraham, God gave him the, Abraham the covenant and said, "This is the sign or the seal of the covenant," and it was the circumcision. So every Jewish child that was 
was circumcised, blood would drip from his foreskin. And this was more or less God ratifying with every male child born, this land is yours for an everlasting possession. So if you're a believer out there, that word everlasting should be important to you. Uh, Everlasting doesn't mean just until Mm. Jesus came, but it means always. And actually, the Bible says, if 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 I could, you know, if the stars can be numbered, um, it, then I then I will cast off uh, Israel as a as my as my chosen people. As long as there's time, as long as there's a heaven and an earth, there's always going to be an Israel in the mind of God. <clears throat> but this is this is a real kicker for me. So, and I've asked people this question before. I ask people, how many times did Jesus shed blood for covenant? Well, most people say, well, on the cross he shed his blood for to ratify the new covenant, and that's true. But Jesus shed blood for covenant twice in his life. Once, which everybody knows about, on the cross. But he also shed blood on the eighth day of his life when he was circumcised. Mm-hmm. And so the very same blood that purchased our soul also dripped from his foreskin and ratified the covenant that God had made with Abraham since mm-hmm. the beginning was this is the sign and the seal of the covenant. So if you're a believer out there and you feel that you that there needs to be some more dividing up of land, Listen, you're going against the very blood of Jesus when you try to remove the plan and purpose of God for the nation of Israel from God's original uh, territory that he gave them. It's a divinely decreed territory, and that's the only place there's peace. All right, we need to get to the traffic, so let's take a break here. We'll give you some time to chew on what Scott just told you, which was really important. Amen. All right, we'll be back to talk more. 16 after 7, 60 degrees (laughs) traffic here on 101.1. FM, the answer. By the way, Cat Stevens' album was T for the Tillerman. That was the name of the album. It had that song on it that I played, Peace Train. It had Morning Has Broken, and it also had another song, Wild World. That's the other song that was on it. Wild World was the song that kind of launched him on radio. Great song. Anyway. I might have heard it when I was in the womb. I don't remember. Yeah, you, that's when you would have had to hear it. <laughs> All right, so Bible guys, I felt a little slighted last week, Uh-oh. says our writer, with my question about what the Bible guy saw happening in 2020. I was especially surprised at Billy being so evasive. Hmm. Now, we'll ask Billy next week. I'm going to hold on to this so that he can uh, talk about w- why, if he thinks he was evasive. I don't think he was. I'm not asking for a prophetic word, just if there was a feeling for what is to come. I know you guys must be in prayer and study much more than the rest of us, so I hope you don't mind me pressing the issue. Also, any thoughts about who might win the White House? Steve? I think the last time this was asked, I think that what was kind of implied was, do we have any prophetic words? And so Billy was like, I'm not doing the prophecy thing or something. That's yeah. yeah where, he said, that's not me. <clears throat> right. Yeah. yeah. So that, might, that might be what he's talking about. And right. there are some people that are um, prophesying certain things. Um, and I think what we ended up going down this path was that people need to be very, very cautious that do that. Um, <clears throat> because I'm of the mentality that, you know, in the old Testament, if someone prophesied an event and it doesn't come to pass, they get killed. Um, my view today is if someone prophesies and says, thus says the Lord, and it doesn't come to pass and they're not allowed to open their mouth ever again because it, it blasphemes God's name. So I'm very cautious around people who go, God said, God said, God said. I often think, uh, I jokingly say, Isaiah's in heaven going, wow, those guys hear God more than I do. Um, anyway, so 2020, I, there's a lot of people um, saying a lot of different things. Uh, Pastor Scott will um, 
um, that the Lord laid upon his heart that it's going to be the year of the Spirit. And I, I believe that, and I do believe um, that some good things are going to happen. But what's the trend? What's the example that we have? Before people awaken, they got to get smacked. It's over and over again where God said to his people, come to me, come back to me, come back to me. But it wasn't until after the judgment came did people awaken. Um, and I'm hoping that we have a great awakening before that happens. But the, again, that's not the trend. Um, I, I and We kind of said a little bit of it off the air beforehand as far as a nation. I'm greatly concerned. That, and when I hear all my friends that are going, Trump, 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 everything's fantastic. I go, yeah, it's great. The economy's great. We borrowed another trillion dollars to make the economy great. Eventually, this is going to come home to roost, as they say. Um, I I have been anticipating the collapse of this country for about a year or two. Been wondering when the division, the strife, the infighting is going to take its toll. Because even Jesus said of a, of a, that a kingdom divided against itself cannot stand. And we've never been more divided. So I anticipate great uh, turmoil uh, whether it's this year, whether it's next year, I don't know. But I do believe, though, that in the midst of that, people will remember their first love and will come back to the house of God. But they've just been running away. So I don't know. I'm not as uh, maybe for the next year or so it might work out. Um, I think if the economy holds up, I believe Trump will get reelected. I think that's the only thing that'll that'll hold him up because, I mean, uh, outside of this, everything else holds him very close to that 50% range. And if the economy is the only thing he can tout, and if that collapses or just res- or rescinds between now and then, he could lose. So I anticipate that he'll win, but we've got to get back to God, not back to America. God is what made America great. And just because we're rallying around a president who loves America, that's great. But we've got to get back to God. I like the uh, bumper sticker that you know a lot of people put on their curses. God bless America. Have you seen the one that says America bless, bless God? God? Yeah. Oh, right. No, yeah. I haven't seen that. I kind of like that yeah, one. That's yeah, that's good. Yeah, get back to how it's supposed to be. Right. right? There We're was, supposed um, to be praising God. You remember the, the document that was written? It was by a Frenchman named Alexis de, de, de Tocqueville. Yeah. Uh, the French sent him over here uh, to find out what was causing this new nation to be on the rise so quickly. And his paper he wrote to, to the French government was, he said, America is is good or great because America is good. And America is good because America um, has the voice of God in it or something like that. He talked about how there's churches on every corner. The ministers, pre- the, the pulpits fume with uh, the fire of God. He says, this is why America is good. And therefore, uh, God is blessing America to make it great. I would agree with Pastor Steve. It's, it's all about God. It's not about um, America. Uh, but as far as my what I said about the year of the spirit, I really felt that was that was for our local church. I wasn't, you know, trying to lead the nation and this is what's going on, but I knew for our local body, this is what the Lord was saying to us. Now I have heard subsequently that other people have been saying uh, the same thing, which you know uh, that's great, and, and I know the spirit of God will be speaking to a lot of different people, and this is probably happening around the world. I do believe when seasons come. Um, the season hits everywhere all at the same time, or hits everywhere. May, may, you know, fall will come in New England faster than it comes in Texas, but eventually it arrives. So I think that there's a swings and moves of the Spirit. But if we don't, if we're not a people led by the Spirit, then we don't know what to say. Yeah. And so we've got to come back to our first love. When we get our first love, then we can go on to our second and our third love. And quite honestly, for, for all of us, your first love should be God. Your second love should be uh, your family. Your third love should be your your church family. Your fourth love should be maybe your um, 
what God has called you to do. And then way down the line is America. Um, but if America takes too dominant of a place in your in your thought life, your prayer life, your meditation, then uh, then you might have an idol there. You might want to check that at the door. Yeah, that's a good point. <clears throat> that's a good point. Anything can be an idol. Anything can be. That's right. Yeah. Making America I, great can be an idol. I think mm-hmm. a shaking's coming. How that plays out, I don't know. Well, I mean, if you look at what's happening now, I mean, I mean, you know, and I'm not <clears throat> very politically engaged at the moment, but if you look at, you know, what we have happening. You know, as far as the selection of uh, of possible future leaders, and you look at what's on offer right now, it would make it should make you tremble in mm-hmm. your in your in your boots. I mean, you, you said you're watching this, this series Washington right yeah, now. Yeah, I mean, series. I mean, you know, what do you think Washington's position would be if there were people like this rising up to try to take leadership? I mean, well, the society would reject them, and they would not. That's have, that's the key. <clears throat> yeah. uh, the society would totally reject a lot of the thing abortion. Right, the way it's uh, it's being handled. Didn't they Reagan reject write that? It? The immigration, all of that kind of stuff. Yeah, they yeah. they totally reject that. I mean, I have people who ask me at times, "What was my father like?" And I tell him he's a conservative, and he said, "What would he think about now?" And I said, "He'd be taking out his M one and cleaning it again." <laughs> <That's> <laughs> he would. He would. I know my father would say, "I fought against this in Europe." Right. Yeah, and now it's here in my own backyard. Right. And the thing you say about Washington, some I saw somebody post a uh, a meme that had a picture of Washington. And it said, "I don't know about y'all, but I know me and my homies be stacking bodies right now." <laughs> That's pretty good. <laughs> yeah. That's pretty good. All right, we're we're down to just a few minutes remaining. I read an article last night uh, from the Christian Post. You guys familiar with the mm-hmm. website? I was reading it, and it was a guy from over in Denmark writing what was different about America from Europe. And he said, you know, when you look at stats in Europe, you'll find families that say that they're, you know, members of such and such church and things of that nature. But they go to church maybe one time a year, and that may be Christmas Eve Mm -hmm. that they show up on it, or maybe Easter, I don't know. He said the thing that he sees that's so much different about America from other countries is that the gospel is still preached mm. in America freely, mm-hmm. and people uh, take it for granted. Yes, yeah. they do. Yeah. You know? <clears throat> that was one thing, you know, because I lived in Europe for most of my life, and um, and that was one thing that was always a challenge because you would talk to people about being Christian, and from their standpoint, they're all Christians. Yes, uh, they're they're born into it, so it's not even a matter of a faith thing. It's just a tradition thing, uh, and so to, you have to first convince people you're not a Christian, then show them how to become one, and then convince them they need to take that step. I mean, it's it's a it's a, it's a very it's different a way. It, it, it really is. It's it's uh, uh, you have to unconvince them, destroy what they think they believe, and then rebuild it. And unfortunately, this whole baptizing infant things, because a lot of them will baptize infants as a matter of tradition. Mm-hmm. And and for them, that's it. I'm done. I'm good. I've already been baptized as an infant. Then you have to convince them. Well, no, that that didn't mean anything. So they'd have to you have to deconstruct what they believe, convince them they're not a Christian, then tell them how their baptism was not authentic and how that wasn't right. And then you have to rebuild their uh, their belief set from there. It's a little bit longer process than than most. That's not the Roman road, huh? <laughs> and, yeah, right, it's the Roman road with a couple of a uh, a little uh, side journeys. The uh, taking for granted. Uh, and the softness of the approach to the gospel has always been my problem with dealing with people, and it's what made me a less than sweet pastor when I was pastoring full times, because 
when people say they believe the Bible, I was like, well, do you believe the part where it says swear unto you and hurt? And when my wife was leading the um, taking care of all the kids and people would, um, she would have schedules and people would go, oh, well, I can't make it. Or, hey, I want to make this service. And they wouldn't keep their word. Or they say they were going to be somewhere and not be their word. Well, I spent 21 years in the military. You don't do that. Your word is your word. Your bond is your bond. If you're going to do it, I don't have any use for you if you cannot keep your word. And so um, I would be that way and be. It's kind of the way Paul felt, too. I think so. I think a lot of people in church, they would love to quote, uh, they love to quote where he talks about, well, I could do all things through Christ. Well, I don't have time for you if you're going to keep wasting my time. Mm-hmm. And so I, I really don't do well. And so when I, people take for granted what we have, I want to get very militant about it. All right. Let's get to the news and we'll come back. We have more questions for the Bible guys. How do I love the unlovable? What a great, great question. We'll come back and get to that. It is 60 degrees. Here's your news. It's the Bible Guys. It's a Tuesday. It's at 7 o'clock, and that means the Bible Guys are on with me for an hour here on the Dave Ellswick Show. And if you ask why, it's simple. There's politics. There's health-related news. There's all kinds of news. But there is also the spiritual side Mm -hmm. of man, and it needs to be dealt with. And so we deal with that here on the Dave Ellswick Show as well. 25 till 8, 60 degrees, looking for a high of 60 right now. And then it's going to start getting cooler as the day goes on. Look for a low this afternoon around 43 degrees. So it's going to get chilly out there. I thought this was probably the best question of the day. How do I love the unlovable? I'm having a lot of issues with people just hating on me. Or either my political views, my religious beliefs, and now even my skin color and gender. Why is there so much hate in the world right now? It seems that there is a lot of hate in churches as well. Why is the church world dividing over such natural things? What does love really look like anyway? I thought we were supposed to be the example after all. Mm. Pretty good question. That's a good question. Mm. Right. Um how that Steve and Steve is, yeah. is deferring to I'll the let, pastor I'll right pastor now. Answer that question. No, I've got an answer. It's, uh, it's just harder to walk out than it is to believe it. Okay. Uh, it is. So um, how do you love the unlovable? Well, uh, you're going to have to – I think the, I, the whole concept of love is different for us. I think for most Westerners, love is a feeling, and love is not a feeling. Um, is love it Eros? Is that the feeling that, you know, the, first I think we need to tell them the definitions of love as far as the Greek that's used in yeah. the Bible. Yeah, there's four different words for love in Greek. Uh, you know, in English we just have basically one word. You know, we love ice cream. Mm-hmm. We love our mom. We also love our wife. We love our friends. Those are all different kinds of love. Uh, and so the Greek uh, <clears throat> clears it up for us by giving us different words for that. Uh, you can have what's called phileo which is a brotherly love. That's where we get our word Philadelphia from, the mm-hmm. city of brotherly love. It That's comes right. from the Greek. Uh, we also have the word agapeo or agape, which is the God kind of unconditional love, which happens to be the name of the, the church that I pastor. Uh, you have the word, the eros uh, love, and that is a, uh, that a love would, uh, that someone would have, is is that, is eros, is that the? Um, I think that's the uh, affectionate, like, where, isn't it where the word erotic? So it, from, it's a very intimate Kind of a sexual kind of like type sexual. thing, yeah, yep. yeah. So there's there's four different uh, the four there's four different words that uh, relate to that. I think this question here is dealing with uh, you know how do I just love people around me that are being 
that are being unkind. I think that's the way I would see that. Is that yeah. the right uh, yeah, way? Yeah, I think that you're exactly right. <clears throat> I mean, I think you got to look at it from what did Jesus do. Right. And I think that you we have to do, like like everything, some, some things you have to just do by, by faith because mm-hmm. you're told to do it. You know, there are times where people will hurt hurt me or or wound me, and so I just have to say, Father, by faith, Lord, I forgive that person for what they've done to me. And, I, and I, I'm very honest. I say, Lord, you know I don't feel an overwhelming sense of wanting to forgive them, but I know it's what your word tells me that I should do. And so I submit myself and yield myself to your word. And, Father, by faith, I release that person. I say I forgive that person, and I bless them. And so I think with with the loving people, it's going to be the same way. It's the same with everything. We have to say, you know, Father, um, by faith, I declare that I love that person. And then begin to walk out what you know love is supposed to look like towards people that are unforgiving, even if you don't feel it. Because if you go by what you feel, mm-hmm. you could pull a Pastor Steve on somebody, right, choke somebody and haul off and <laughs> slap upside the head. I mean, so you can't go by what you feel. That means you've got to go by what you believe. That's right. And what we believe is love looks this way. And as Dave said, what would Jesus do? He laid his life down for those people. He turned, taught us to turn the other cheek towards our brothers. He he taught us to, to take our cloak off and give it to someone who asks of us. He gave us the example, showed us how to live. But then again, also, love also sometimes pulls out a whip mm-hmm. and cleanses a temple. Yeah. Sometimes love says, you're a whitewashed tomb. Get your life right. I rebuke you. Mm-hmm. So there's a balance of how to actually do that. And Jesus was that example. What does love look like anyway? I think it was a part of the question. It looks like Jesus. What does love really look like anyway? It looks like Jesus. God, the Bible says God is love. And Jesus says, when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So Jesus would be that love that you would actually uh, that you would actually look at. I think there's a bigger part of the question. I forgot what it exactly was. I thought we were supposed to be the example. Why is it that the church world divides over such natural things? Right. Because man's a fallen creature. Yeah. I mean, that's why they... They divide churches over the color of carpet at yeah. times. There's a, that those two things are the very things that say whether or not we're Christians or not. It's the two things that Jesus said that the world will know that the Father sent him. Mm-hmm. One is love and the other is unity. And that's why it's hard to express and that's why there's so much disunity in the church. Um, that is a very difficult thing to do and to manifest. Um, but there's, I don't, I got shown how to look at people by reading the story of the commandments being broken by Moses. Um, and I don't have time to get into it because it's kind of in depth. It'd probably take me 30, 45 minutes to explain it all. But on the surface, uh, what it means is um, you have to forgive them for they know not what they do. You have to look through what's being manifested in someone when they're saying. That's what Jesus things. said, wasn't it? Correct. Yeah. And, it, and that's why I said it's easier taught, preached, or spoken of than it is to walk out but as the saying goes you know hurt people hurt people hurting people hurt people right and so you have to learn to look through why people are responding the way they are and just somehow try and say it's okay or do it the southern way will bless your heart mm-hmm. you know you're still kind of looking through it uh, not i mean bless your heart almost has a really condescending you know arrogant tone about it <laughs> but the idea is is trying to look through whatever it is uh that that person is doing and or saying um i don't like to, it, it it can lead itself to almost excusing uh because we have a, a generation today that likes to blame everything on the way they were raised or what somebody said to them and, and it, that does tend to happen but we also don't want to discount somebody that maybe came from an abusive background or yeah. whether it be physically or emotional and realize that that often drives their character 
mm-hmm. and to try and try and look through through that. Or as my old pastor used to say, they may just remind you of their ex-wife or their father or somebody, and they are not even speaking to you. They're speaking through the hurt. So it's hard to do. It's not easy to take whatever it is that somebody's saying uh, and then turn love back on it. It's very so, difficult. So let me let me kind of pull this a little, stretch it out a little bit. Mm-hmm. All right. What do you tell people who live through their hurts from the past and are always trying to are always dealing with them, that mm-hmm. they never seem to be able to put them away. How do you talk to a person? What do you try? How do you try to help a person with that? Well, I, tr- I try to give them um, biblical examples. This is assuming a person who loves God is born again mm-hmm. and uh, want, wants to walk out the word. And so, and I usually give them um, scriptural examples. One uh, that's very effective is you tell them about, tell, tell them about the apostle Paul. When Paul actually says that he has wronged no man, Yet, he murdered Christians. He persecuted the church. Yet, he came to a point in his life and he says, I have wronged no man. Well, how do you do that? He's the same one who wrote that when you get born again, old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. He lived in the reality, the revelation that my old man was crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. And so, you work people through um, biblical examples showing how people were in the exact same space spot they're in and they found a way through the Lord, through Jesus to, to lose the old identity and to obtain a new one. But what, what if it's not an identity? It's what people did to them. Right. I think it goes back to what, um, what I was saying about walking this out thing out in faith. Lord, I don't feel this. I, I have this animosity, but Lord, by faith, I release and forgive them. It's like what pastor Steve quoted when Lord Jesus said, Lord, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And I think that uh, you have to position yourself in a matter in a place of faith to do it. And I've walked with people through this, and it's not it's not fast. It's mm-hmm. not easy. It's mm-hmm. not easy. And you you have to take time. You deal with each one of them, and then you work with them, praying with them, and they release one thing after the next. And then you teach them that when these thoughts come back of pain and hurt, you're meant to grab those thoughts and cast them down. The Bible says that we, we take every thought captive into the obedience of Christ. And so we're meant to fight a warfare in our mind and casting down these thoughts and imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. And what exalts itself against the knowledge of God are thoughts that are contrary to what the Scripture says that we should be doing and how we should be living. <clears throat> the hardest thing to break is the identity. Uh, because let's just say, for example, whether it was, um, let's just use emotional abuse. If someone was raised and told by a father or mother that, that they were stupid or they weren't pretty or whatever the case is, and they heard it over and over again, then they've been conditioned that that is their identity, that they're not smart enough, they're not fast enough, or whatever the case is. Um, and when you try to get somebody to understand that's no longer their identity and who they can become, as Pastor Scott was saying, they can behold all things are new. Um, you have been made a new creation, right? You can be made new. You can be healed. You can be delivered. However, um, what's difficult is to get Egypt out of people, and they will continue to look back. And I hear with people, and I have to really bite down on my tongue when I hear people say, well, I had this as a father. I don't care, okay? That's who you were. This is who you are. This is what God says you are. This is who he says you can become. Stop using that as your identity. The Stop. past is the past. Correct. Yeah. And it, it's hard to get people to want to let go of that 
and oftentimes they don't because it draws sympathy. It, it draws attention, well, attention to mm-hmm. them, and they don't want to let it go. They want to keep looking in Egypt, and that is the thing that is very difficult on a personal level for me to deal with people who you can see and go, look, dude, you can have it, you can obtain it, you can get it, you can go after it, but you've got to let go of that. And that, that's been, the very, for, for me, the most difficult thing is to when people don't want to let go of that old identity. Yeah. All right, let's take a break. Got to get our final break for this hour, and when we come back, is the Bible really true? 14 minutes before 8 o'clock, 60 degrees. The Bible guy's with us until the top of the hour here on the Dave Ellswick Show. All right, we continue here on the uh, Dave Ellswick Show Bible Guys on Tuesdays. They are here in the studio, and uh, we've got just one more segment with them. So, Scott, you wanted to go back to that last question, and you wanted to add something. Yes. Uh, the last question asked, it says, why are why is there seeming to be so much hate in the world right now? Yes. And then it mentioned also in the church. Um, and something that just kind of popped into my head, Jesus is speaking and this Pastor Steve might know where this is at, but he says, he's talking about things at the end of time. And he said, because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. Mm-hmm. And I think that um, because the law of God has been systematically rejected, um, especially in our in our church world, because we say, well, well, the law has nothing to do with us. It says that because lawlessness will abound, love will begin to grow cold. And I think that obviously when love grows cold, what takes its place is is hate. And I think, and also the Bible says, those who love your law are not easily offended. So I think a lot of the um, the lack of love, a lot of the, the lack of patience, the lack of understanding, the lack of tolerance with each other as brothers and sisters can relate back, directly back to people's um, attitudes and appreciation and love for the law of God. Did yeah, you find it's, it? It's in Matthew twenty four twelve. Um, and it's the Olivet Discord where he's talking about the end, and he says, and because the law of this will bound, the love of many will grow cold. Yeah. Yep. That's right. it. Dear Bible guys, I've always heard that Moses wrote the law, but how can this be when portions of the law tell of his death and burial, then go on to tell of Joshua leading the people across the border into the promise? He wasn't still alive, so who wrote that part? Are we not incorrect? about Moses writing the law then? What about Psalms? David didn't write all of them. So why do we say that David wrote the book of Psalms? How do you defend the scriptures when people attack its divine inspiration or do you? Right. Um, well, we can look at it from a couple. I, th- I think when people say David wrote the book of Psalms, I think there's be- they're speaking in generalities. You know, I think you know David probably wrote ninety percent of the Psalms, so they're just saying it like that. They don't mean every single one because it's obvious they didn't. Because during during the break, you know, you were mentioning David. The Psalms actually tell you at the beginning who wrote them. Yep. So it actually tags the author. So nobody like the choir master wrote right. some. Who was the choir master? We don't know. Uh, yeah, right. So you know, so it tells you who did it. So nobody believe that David wrote every one of them. So they're speaking generally when they say that. And then as far as going back to Moses, um, it's uh, yeah, right. We believe that Moses wrote everything, and for the most part, everything in the book of Saul, uh, book the law up until his death. Now it's it's said, I think the rabbis even say this, that Joshua wrote the, la- the last part of it. So after Moses died, mm-hmm. Joshua picked up the mantle, and Joshua wrote about how Moses died and what God did with Moses' body and and, and all that, and up to the promise saying, because what's the next book right after the, the last book of the law? It's the book of Joshua. So Joshua's continuing to 
to write. So I, I think that I think that's actually the rabbinic view, and I think that's yeah. the one I would take. Yeah, and you can't. And also, and we can take a little bit further. What about Genesis? Where did did that just was that just dropped on Moses in Mount Sinai? I tend to take a view that that was passed down. Um, it was either written in cuneiform or some other type of script, and then given to Moses or orally passed down, and then Moses put down the written part of up to his point. Basically, the book of Genesis. Uh, yeah, book of Genesis. Um, but there was also, what about Paul? Remember at one point he said, I wrote this of my own hand. So he had Luke. The prophets had scribes. And so there were people who wrote these things down. And that's okay. The, the transcription, if that's the right word, transmission, if you will, was given to Moses. And there could have been, and he wrote down the majority of it. Uh, but I'm, I'm okay with some of the scribes taking care of the rest of it because of the history. Some guys will say it was all given to him at Mount Sinai. We know that's not true because there were other places where he said, hey, let me go seek the Lord on this. And the Lord gave him an answer about some. And then they wrote it as they were going along. So I, I don't get caught up too much into that aspect of things because I'm OK with the fact that, well, when Moses died, this was written down or the, the fathers prior to Moses gave us Genesis or Joshua and then his scribe or Jeremiah and his scribe or Paul and Luke, you know, so on and so forth. Yeah, I mean, when Paul was in prison, Luke used to come and visit him and write down what Paul right. told him. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And that's the, so Luke, basically, he's the one who writes the book of Luke, but he's also the one who writes the, uh, the book Acts. of Acts. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and so you see then there's a, whenever, um, whenever Barnabas and Paul separate, uh, that's why you see Paul's ministry becoming dominant um, because Luke went with him. It wasn't that Barnabas wasn't still out doing stuff and ministering, and obviously he was helping make John Mark into the man of God he would be, who would eventually write the book of Mark. So Barnabas was out doing stuff as well. But, you know, Luke is not omnipresent. He's in one spot at one time doing one thing. And this thing. is actually an important point to make, and I'll use the Gospels to do this. So they'll tell you that Mark was the foundational for um, Matthew and Luke, and then John wrote his own without that. So those first three are called the synoptic. Mm-hmm. And it, Word and synoptic means similar. They're similar. Um, and that's why they tell a lot of the same stories, but they may be slightly different. And that's okay because people think this, they have this idea that they just sat down and all of a sudden all the Word of God was just bloop, planted into their mind. Well, like they were sitting down in a beam of light Correct. came down that's and how they're people, writing. But you know, and then it goes off, they go, oh, done for today. <laughs> Correct. That's how people believe that the Scriptures, when it wasn't. So how this took place is, that, hey, Mark wrote down, what he saw and what he remembered from the story of the gospel. Then Matthew took and wrote down what he remembered, and it was from a different perspective. Luke did the same thing more systematically. That's why it's longer. And then John did the same thing. They're all telling the same story, but they might be slightly different because it's from a different perspective. doesn't mean it wasn't inspired. And some people will use that to go, oh, see, the Bible's different. There's errors. No, they're telling the same story but from different angles. Yeah, Yeah, you get a, a, a group of people. Let me take four people and take them to a Trump uh, rally and then walk away from the rally and say, well, what did you get from that? Mm. Right. right. They might have completely, yep. you know, or what did you hear? You might get completely different stories. But the basic yeah, but it's the story, same story is the yeah. same. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or exactly if you have, right. you have people standing on uh, four different street corners and there's an accident mm-hmm. and you go to these eyewitnesses, what did you see? Well, one saw it from the, the position of the north. Somebody saw it from the south. Someone saw it from... The east, so they're all seeing the same thing. They're writing it from you know different perspectives. One saw it coming from behind, and one saw it coming straight on. One saw it coming from the side. So, yeah, somebody might have seen somebody on that side of the street, uh, but those over there were seeing somebody on this side of the street. So they're writing about two different groups of people seeing the same thing. So, 
uh, yeah, there is no there is no um, difficulty with that whatsoever. No, I don't have any problem with. That. I, I know the scriptures are inspired. And, and, yeah, and it says here about this inspiration. The scripture does tell us in the Book of Second Timothy. It says, "For we know that all scripture was given by inspiration of God." Uh, so even if they may have um, used each other's text, um, there still was the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to write this, and God chose the men to do it, and He allowed them to live that that experience and to write what they um, write what they were seeing. So. Uh, and but as far as proving it, um, I mean, is it say is that not it the says, question? How do you defend, oh, defend the it. scripture when people attack its divine inspiration, yeah. or do you? Well, of course you you have to deal with it. Yeah, yeah, and a lot just of times, like we've done today, right? And a lot of times you can you can cite uh, the um, historical accuracy of it. You can re, you, you can cite prophetic accuracy of it. Do you, there's a lot of things that you can do. And I like to just turn around and just ask them the question. Um, well, you know, just you know, suppose they're holding a history book. How do you know what's in the history mm-hmm. book is right? Have you ever questioned what's in the history book? Yeah. And most they, of the time the answer is no. They just take it for granted. Why do you take it for granted? You have faith yeah. that that history book in your hand, American history, is actually correct. You've not ever tested it, but you only want to test one book. They they won't question Plato or Philo or anything else like that, but they'll, they'll question or Socrates. Right. Yeah. yeah, they won't do that. But you must not get caught up in the scribal differences or different angles as we're talking about. The whole story has never been disproven. There are no historical inaccuracies. There are only some historical accounts that haven't been confirmed. So forever people would say the Bible wasn't true because they had no evidence of Pontius Pilate being the prefect at now that time. They now, now they, they do. Now they do. Yeah. So, they got his ring now. Correct. Yeah. Um, so that's the kind of stuff that the <laughs> the whole story has never been disproven and it's not historically inaccurate, but you will find some different nuances that don't seem to line up, and that's okay. All right. Guys, we're out of time. Always To learn fast. some of this stuff, we've got uh, 20 <laughs> seconds. Tell them where to go. Go to theamericaninstitute.org. You can become a student and take all of these courses, and if you're not looking for a degree, you can audit them and just get the information. There you got it. And you'll be the number one top dog at the wild water cooler, I'm just telling you. Scott, thanks for coming in. Steve, same to you. We'll see you guys next Tuesday here on the Dave Ellswick Show. General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.